Welcome to Risk Never Sleeps, where we meet and get to know the people delivering patient care and protecting patient safety. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet. Welcome to the Risk Never Sleeps podcast, in which we discuss the people that are protecting patient care. I'm Ed Gaudet, the host of our program, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Yaron Levy, the CISO, Chief Information Security Officer of Dolby Laboratories, right? Yeah. Uh, so a little different than healthcare, but you do have some background in the payer space, I believe. You were a Blue Cross Blue Shield. I did spend eight years, yeah, in healthcare. That's I, I consider that one of my tour of duties because I spent with us about three years with Cerner, uh, which is a healthcare IT. Yeah. And sure. then Blue Cross Blue Shield for five years. So yeah, spent a lot of time in healthcare. <laughs> it's right. Well, you have a unique background because you've done a couple different industries. And how you got here is also interesting. So I think our listeners would be really intrigued about Literally, how you got to become a CISO. I think you were a uh, sales engineer at one point, right? In your career? Or? Yeah. So I guess I don't know how far you want to go back, but I'm originally from Israel and I served in the military in Israel. It's a mandatory service. I was an intelligence officer. And when I left the, when I left the service, I started my own company and did that for about six years. And then I thought that back in 98 that I invented e-learning. And everybody said, oh, nobody's ever going to learn through the internet. <laughs> and now this is a stupid idea. And just, but I tried and failed. And that changed my course. To, okay, I need to do something a bit different. And I got an opportunity actually in the telecom space. And I started working for a company still in Israel. And they six months in, they said, do you want to move to the US? Because we have a project for two years that we need your help with over there. And I said, yeah, sure, for two years. And we just had a new baby at that time. And my wife said, yeah, I can work from there. And or just we can work, like, just live on your salary and you can work from there and we can stay with the baby. And 20 years later, here we are. <laughs> but yeah, I spent quite a time in telecom. And then I switched to another company that was here in, I'm in Kansas City, that was actually in the automotive space and provide some technology services for automotive. And I think throughout my career, I was both on the kind of one leg on the business side and the other leg in the technology side. So I was a sales engineer. I was like a project manager. I was an account manager. I did a bunch of different things. And somehow or another, I stumbled on security throughout the different things I was doing. And not only I found it really interesting, but also it reminded me a lot of the things I did during my military service. And it was almost like a calling because being in security is you're part of something bigger than just yourself. And you get an opportunity to support and a lot of companies and people. And that's what I enjoy about it. So that's how I started with that. And I really had an opportunity to work with like really great people and people who uh, believed in me. And that's the other thing, great things about security. There's an awesome community and you're always going to find somebody who is willing to help and teach and advise. So that's how I learned. And yeah, from there, from that company that was in the automotive space, I moved to eBay. I spent a couple of years there. And then Intuit, and then Cerner, and then Blue Cross, and now Dolby. So I, I switched to different industries, and I find it fascinating just to get that experience yeah. from different places. Yeah. No, very, very, I have a very similar background. I think that perspective, too, gives you, in some ways, an advantage over other folks that stay in that one particular industry. They may rise through the ranks, but they miss that perspective that you can get from other industries. How has that helped you out in your career? Yeah, I think you're right. I think what I'm finding is that there's actually more common than none in the industries, right? So I understand that a lot of companies, they just want to have a proven commodity from the same industry who understands and everything. And that's fine. And that's fair. But I think a lot of those skills or a lot of those, that knowledge is learnable, teachable. So it's, I don't find it as a barrier. 
I think the difference is what skills do you have that make you who you are, right? Are you able to build relationships? Are you able to educate others, to mentor others, to communicate properly and things like that? Build that trust. And if you can do that, then you can work in any industry. Why do you think it's difficult for cybersecurity professionals in particular to communicate with business? A lot of us are first and foremost are nerds. And so that's maybe like the first thing, right? And all of us are very strategic thinkers and many people are more introverted, if you will. A lot of us, and I know I'm a little exaggerating and generalizing, but we're not known for our shyness. And we sometimes look for where the things are on the edge and not like kind of the mainstream. And sometimes in the corporate, it doesn't fly very well, right? So I think that's one thing. Very, a lot of us very specialized in different things. But I would say one of the things that for all of cybersecurity folks, they care. And I don't know any cyber professional that doesn't care. They have their heart in the right place. And if you're highly specialized and really go down on the professional lane, sometimes to make the switch to the business side, and it's not that easy, especially if you're like not a subject matter expert anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you have to feel much more comfortable with chaos and knowing that you can't control everything and some things are going to fall to the floor and there's nothing much you can do about it. It's a challenge. It's a skill. And I think what will happen is that as you rise to the ranks and the more you move towards the business side, you need to rely more on your EQ than IQ necessarily. It's so um, true. And that's a shift. That. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true. Especially, I think, when you're communicating risks at a business level, because ultimately it becomes a business decision as to take the risk or not take the risk, obviously. What keeps you up at night? I think it's like everybody else. I think we definitely have a heightened sensitivity to risks and seeing things that many others are not aware to or don't fully grasp and understand. But then we feel that burden of responsibility. And again, talking about that mission, yeah, that's keep us up at night. We're always outnumbered. We're always like understaffed, underbudgeted, always like all of us. And it's hard to keep up. It's hard to keep up with what's going on. Obviously, we're doing the best we can. I think we definitely came a long way. We're continuing to improve as an industry, as a community, not just as a company. And I think the, the great thing that is happening is that we started years ago, but now I think see it more and more to collaborate more and support each other, whether it's between companies and government and other, and other things. Yeah, we came a long way. Bad guys also came yeah, a long way. Certainly, yeah. So we're yeah. going to have to keep up. What we've been doing is pretty new, 20, 30 years, probably not more than that. So we're still learning. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of what I'm seeing that it's troubling is how sometimes maybe regulations, governments, law, they, they don't always kind of keep up. And sometimes what we're seeing coming out is not optimal or troubling. You see it right um, now with AI, with artificial intelligence. You see the right. technology, even in the last four months, five months, has come so far and regulation is still like trying to understand, is it three letters right. or two letters? What's right? Yeah, what yeah. This thing we're dealing with. <laughs> yeah. And now, I, I think it's fascinating if you think about how fast we adopt technologies. It's funny, but there's an interesting website. I was just talking to a friend about this. There's an interesting website out there. It is called Our World in Data. And they have a bunch of information that about different things. As an example, for flash to, flashing toilet, it took 60 years in the U.S. to get 20% market adoption between 1860 and 1920. 60 years. Chat GPT, to get to 100 million users, you do them less than a month. So think about how fast things are changing these days and how do we keep up and how do we adapt to all of that? Yeah, like threads, they turn threads on and, and 
how many days did it take for them to get to 70 right. or 80 million users? Yeah. It's absolutely incredible. And where do you see, where do you see the space go? Where do you see AI taking us over the next couple of years? It's a great technology, great force multiplier. Definitely. It's one of those things that I don't think that we can put this genie back in the bottle. It has great promises and great opportunities, but also have a lot of threats. So it definitely, I think it's a force. I, I, I feel it's more of a force multiplier for a lot of things. You can do things faster and, and in a larger scale and whatever, like everything else, whether we're going to use it for good or bad, it's up to us, right? It's like no, nuclear technology. You can do good things with it and power, a lot of power and relatively clean power and so on. And you can kill a lot of people with it. Whatever exactly. we decide to do, it's up to us. Yeah, it's the same thing, I think, in, in many ways. What are some of the things you're doing at Dolby that you wish your peers would know about or maybe peers within other industries could learn from? Yeah, I don't think it's something that is specific for Dolby. I think it's more of, a, again, as an industry, like the collaboration, really focusing on aligning with the business where the business goals are. How do we support the business? How do we enable the business to go there? And also realizing that, like you mentioned, at the end of the day, it's a business decision. So our goal is to, to educate, to support, to advise the business on the risk help when it comes to defense and things like that, regulations, compliance, but at the end of the day, it's a business decision. Mm -hmm. So I think in most industries, that's how we need to think about it. How do we align more with the business and how yeah. do we more support the business? How do we become part of the business? Because I think oftentimes I see this us versus them mentality, which again, we are them. I think that's where we need to align more. Yeah. Um, how about at the board I level? Yeah, I, I think there's more education that needs to happen. Again, it's relatively new. Mm -hmm. We have now conversations about the SEC and potentially new regulations around cyber, right? Yes. Which exactly. I think it was postponed to October now, That's at true. least. But it's one of those things that if we think back, we did not need to have somebody with financial expertise on the board until about 2004 timeframe, which was like the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. That's right, Sarbanes, yeah. So it's only, what, 19 years. Yeah. So now it's, it's, it's ridiculous. What, what do you mean? Like, we never had somebody with financial background on the board before that? Yeah. Yeah. But we didn't have to. Again, security is relatively new. Now, whether we need somebody with cyber expertise on the board or not, I don't know. It's, there's mm -hmm. still debatable. But it's definitely something that we need to educate. It's something that the board need to understand better. And I think, yes, it will benefit to have people without expertise on the board and then helping and, and supporting. But yeah, we, we still have ways to go again. It's still relatively new. Yeah, I'd like to see change over the next couple of years in this area. I think it's a big issue. You have audit committees, you have comp committees, you have finance committees. Why don't you have a cybersecurity committee with actual expertise on yeah. the board? that can help really drive that. And I think a conversation needs to happen, right? Is it right to have a cyber community on the board? Why don't you have a legal committee? Why don't you have a marketing committee? Why don't you have a sales committee? It's not all the same. And, and I think we still need to figure out what's the right construct to put there. But I do think that the expertise needs to be there in some form or fashion. Yeah. Um, I think most companies have it in audit or it's buried in audit. Yeah. Which, again, it's good that at least it's somewhere, but I just think feel like it gets diluted in that area because there's so much to do in on it. Yeah. Um, I, I think as, as a, a major, especially in this day and age, when we think about digital economy and everything is digital, mm -hmm. it's a major risk that we need to think about and maybe it warrants its own committee. Maybe not just cyber, but maybe more like cyber and some technology or whatever. Yeah. But it's just, but it's not just technology. So we, I don't know that we know exactly what's the right construct is, but I think definitely we need to get better agree, where we are agree. today. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Couple, last couple of years have been difficult for a lot of people, the pandemic, 
What are you most proud of personally and professionally? Oh, that's a great question. So for me, the pandemic has had two things. One, I actually took the role in Dolby during the pandemic. I actually started in September of 20. And I started to work in January of 21. And I work from home now. And when they interviewed me, they said, even if we are here in San Francisco, you cannot come to the office at least until June of 21. Again, that was September of 20. The first time I saw somebody face to face was October. So everything was this, right? And how do you build relationships? How do you build trust? How do you build friendships? How do you integrate? And I'm happy to say that it worked very well. You have to be very intentional. You have to do a lot of different things. But I think the culture of the company is such that it enabled that. And, and the people are really wonderful people that I mean to work with. So it, it was exciting because when I met some of the people like in the first half of 10 months, people I already considered friends and that I had a connection with, but I never saw them. Isn't that strange? Um, I remember the first time I met someone physically after spending a lot of time with them on Zoom. And it was a real, it was a yeah. bit of a cognitive dissonance. Oh, I expected you to be taller or shorter <laughs> or whatever. <It's> yeah, <laughs> but I think putting together the program, helping building the team, connecting with the team, connecting just in the broader team, in the company and stuff like that, and continue to operate, continue to enable the business, continue to provide the support to the business, despite all the challenges that we had. I think I'm proud of the team of how they were able to accomplish that. So yeah, that's awesome. good. Outside of security, what would you be doing? What are you most passionate about? A lot of things, I think, but I don't get to do them too much. It's always the case. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of my resolutions for this year, which I'm glad I started, I wanted to do it for a very long time. I started to learn how to play piano. Ah, and terrific. yeah, right. so it's a completely out from everything else that I do, because I do a lot of things in the community and in security and people and my friends and everything, but that's different. Yeah. I practice daily and I have a teacher and I practice with her once a week. And wow. yeah, I, it's hard. It's not easy to start playing piano when you're not five yeah, years know. old. I, I tried guitar and uh, yep. didn't, go, didn't end well. <laughs> but I enjoy it so far. So yeah. And what's, uh, your, what's your musical inspiration? Is there a particular genre of music that you like? Um, I think I like everything. I listen to a lot of things. I can listen to classical and I can listen to heavy metal. So I like everything. Some of the music my kids listen to, I'm not too crazy about, mm -hmm. but yeah, I listen to a lot of things. What's your go-to playlist? What are your bands that you go to like often? Oh, definitely 80s and 80 rock. I would say 70 and 80s. And so, 70s like, and you know, yeah. so Queen and Guns oh, um, N' Roses and okay. not as much, but I would say definitely Stairway to Heaven. Oh, um, yeah. You know, Led Zeppelin, yeah. Led Zeppelin. Yeah, my kids always like follow me when I play. Uh, Dad, again. Like, I'm a huge Cure fan. Do you like the Cure or the Smiths? Oh, yeah. Or any of those yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Almost anything 80s, I, I can. Yeah. I'm the same way. I can listen to, yeah. yeah. So, how about yeah. jazz? Jazz, yeah. 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 Jazz, country. Well, even though I wasn't born here, I, I like country music. <laughs> the band called The Band? No, I actually hear those. No, it's, uh, that one. it's an Americana. It's combines. It's actually a Canadian band, believe it or not. Mm. Um, but it combines a lot of musical elements that are part of America. Um, oh, but I'll they've change. got yeah, they've got incredible piano and organ sound, and they were the backing band for Bob Dylan. Oh wow! And then they came out on their own, and they have their yeah. Once you hear the songs, you'll know who they are. They're, they're I was definitely check them out by the name. <laughs> what a name, yeah, yeah. yeah. But check them out because you'll if you like that type of music, you'll, yeah, you might like them. Yeah, I also, I went to, last weekend, I went to the Taylor Swift concert with my daughter. Oh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, it was great, yeah. Like I said, I <laughs> span all decades, yeah. 
Look at you. I'm a deadhead. So I just got, I got, did five shows nice. in the last couple of weeks. And nice. Very good. I love music. Um, what would you tell your 20 year old self if you could go back in time? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I would say trust your gut and tune out the noise. I think I, in my younger years, probably listened to too much and was more concerned about what other people think and what other people say. Yeah. Maybe it comes with age. I don't know. And some people told me not to do some things and I listen to them not doing those things and now I regret not doing those things and whatever. But I would say trust your gut, tune out the noise, not completely close your ears, but tune out the noise. Yeah. Things are going to be okay. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. It's very, a very common response to the question, which I love. And it's surprising because I would have thought people would have said, buy Microsoft or <laughs> invest in Apple. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe that's the because I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question. This is the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. What is the riskiest thing you've ever done? Oh, wow. I've done a lot of risky things. Maybe I would go with stupid risk. Is that okay? You do whatever you want. Yeah. It's, okay. It's, it's, uh, risky things yeah. between starting a company, closing a company, failing with a company, succeeding, yeah, whatever. That's, yeah. Moving to another country, it's risky. But yeah, I, I, I will go with a stupid risk. I think I was 15 and a friend of mine and, and me, we really wanted to drive. And in Israel, you cannot drive until you're 17 and a half. Hmm. We found like an abandoned car somewhere that was just, I don't know how many years it didn't drive. And we decided to restore it and drive it at 15 and mind you that's no internet back then we found books and different things in libraries and how did you and... restore it when so your parents didn't know you were restoring the car or did you like keep it in a... we so <laughs> my, my friend's dad had a workshop in that was a kind of a little town they lived in mm -hmm. and so it was in the workshop his friends his dad knew my parents they knew they didn't really care much about that yeah. but yeah we were working in that workshop of his dad and we pretty much Stripped the car from everything. We just left the chassis, the engine, the steering wheel, the, the gear and everything else. But then the next thing was to, and we couldn't find a lot of parts. Some we could, but the next thing was to make the engine run. So we found books and we were able to fix the engine. So that was good. But we had two problems. We didn't have a battery and we did not have a fuel tank. The fuel tank didn't work. I was oh. just like... Those are two big problems. <laughs> yeah. We found some, I don't know, some old battery from like a truck. It was like huge. And so we just oh, mounted it in the front somehow. Great. And Nothing for, bad's going to happen when you do that. That's a stupid <laughs> risk, right? And then for the fuel, what we did, it was a carburetor, right? So we're not doing like fuel injection, it was like yeah. old cars. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't have, we didn't also have an air filter. So what we did, the, the diameter of the carburetor was pretty much the same as, as a mayo can. So we took a plastic mayo can and mm -hmm. we stuffed some sponge inside. It was our <laughs> filter and we just put it on the carburetor and we just taped that. That's great. And then for the fuel, what we did, we ran like the, the gas line that goes through the carburetor. But because we didn't have a tank, we took this plastic can. So my friend was driving, I was sitting next to him holding the plastic can oh. with gasoline inside <laughs> and the pipe just goes in there and we just drove as long as that until it ran out. Back it was like, it's really stupid, but <laughs> we took the risk, how, I guess we had a lot of fun. How far did you go? That yeah. sounds great. <laughs> we did that for months. We yeah. were driving like in the fields and not on the roads, but like in yeah. the fields and... That's uh, so great. It's almost like a go-kart. We did it with go-karts, yeah. but you did it yeah. with a real car. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we didn't have any money. It's whatever. We take the fuel yeah. bucks or whatever. Fuel how long did it take you from when you found the car to actually getting in operation? I think we've done it for probably a year and a half. 
between everything and yeah and until we were stopped by police like there was some police officer who oh, stole yeah, something and that. they came and it was funny because like he didn't know if to laugh or to be mad at us because when he saw what we did <laughs> you're sitting there holding the gas yeah, like, <laughs> and he's just go home i don't want to see you ever again yeah, just thing, and just we go. stopped after that like a 15 year old okay yeah the police was yeah, it's probably not a good idea to continue yeah. at that point yeah. <laughs> they know who you are they've got you yeah. Very good. Thank you very much. Any other last comments to the listeners on the program? Yeah. First of all, thank you for having me. Okay. This is fun. Cybersecurity, as you mentioned, right? It's, it, we're dealing with risk is our business. That's and right. the more we can partner with the business, the more we can become the trusted advisor for the business on risk. And it's not the only risk. And we need to understand it's not the only risk for the business. But that's the mission. And, and that's the mission to help. And when we deal with, you mentioned healthcare at the beginning and my tour of duty in healthcare, we're dealing with people's lives. And it's important. So it's not just about compliance. It's not just about regulations. These are important too. But also at the end of the day, we also have to remember that there's a person on the other side and that person, their life can be impacted, their financial, their health, whatever. So that's the mission. It's a hard mission. I'm glad there are a lot of smart and good people in this community who are operating for that mission and just keep going. Somebody has to do it. Thank you very much. That, that, that's yeah. a great way to end the program. Ron, thank you very much for your time. And to our listeners, thank you. This is Ed Gaudet from the Risk Never Sleeps podcast. If you're on the front lines protecting patient safety, remember to stay vigilant because risk never sleeps. Thanks for listening to Risk Never Sleeps. For the show notes, resources, and more information on how to transform the protection of patient safety, visit us at sensinet.com. That's C-E-N-S-I-N-E-T dot com. I'm your host, Ed Gaudet, and until next time, stay vigilant because risk never sleeps.